This is Glenn Lowry. This is The Glenn Show. We're at Substack.com and at my YouTube channel, Glenn Lowry Show. Every week. Every other week with John McWhorter. This week, my guests are Robert Woodson, who is the founder and president of the Woodson Center in Washington, D.C., and Sylvia Bennett-Stone, who is the chairman or director, director. <laughs> of Voices of Black Mothers United, which is an initiative that is housed within the Woodson Center. I'm especially happy to welcome Bob and Sylvia back to The Glenn Show. And I just want to state that uh, The Glenn Show, you contributors out there who are interested in supporting us, has pledged 10% of its net proceeds as a tithe to support the work that goes on through the Woodson mm -hmm. Center, including Sylvia's project, Voices of Black Mothers United. So, welcome. Thank Pleased you. To be here, Glenn. Yeah. So, Bob, tell us about the Woodson Center again. The Woodson Center is a national not-for-profit that I founded uh, 40 years ago in Washington, D.C., and it really helps low-income grassroots leaders in 39 states. There are about 2,500 of them. And we help them to design and run programs to address um, poverty, uh, crime reduction, small enterprise. In other words, we help low-income leaders to redevelop their community from the inside out. We look at them as social entrepreneurs. And we, uh, as I said, 80% of my closest friends and the people we serve have letters in front of their names, not behind their names. <laughs> How long have you been in operation? 40 years. 40 years yes. of good works with grassroots organization, empowering people to take their problems into their own hands and to uh, make some progress. Mm -hmm. Yes. We run two people everyone runs away from. <laughs> <laughs> and Sylvia. Yes. Voices of Black Mothers United. What are you, what are you all up to? Oh, my God. Um, first of all, thank you for having me back again. Um, we have been... Um, just finished a five-state tour. Um, Victims' Rights Week was a national initiative of DOJ um, that ran from April 24th through April the 30th. Voices of Black Mothers United uh, did five different events to highlight and to celebrate the survivors of victims of violence in five different states. We started out in Alabama and went to Mississippi, Tennessee, uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and racing Wisconsin. And each of the states and the cities, rather, did their own creative event to bring together law enforcement in the community in terms of engaging the two for the better good of the community and bringing about solutions for safety. So it was just phenomenal in each city. Uh, one city we did a basketball game that included law enforcement, community leaders, um, 
members of the the school board superintendent's office, uh, as well as kids within the community or parents within the community. And they engage in a fun game of basketball that we chose to call it bigger than basketball because the conversation was more. And during the halftime, we actually had a panel to where there was the exchange of what's happening and how to better racing Wisconsin. Those are the things that we've been doing now, on you, the ground. Excuse me, Bob, you call yourselves Voices of Black Mothers United. We are. Why? Okay, Have so- you explained your situation? Uh, why we got started. What happened, um, I was a community affiliate of the Woodson Center since 2006. And um, in 2004, um, my daughter was killed. She was at a gas station. The bullet went through her body, stopped in the heart of her girlfriend. Both girls died. I dropped off the scene for some years. And when I came back to the communication hub of the Woodson Center, Mr. Woodson was, where you've been, you know, and I shared and, and I also shared the frustration that no one wants to hear about a black child dying in the community. And we, Mr. Woodson said, well, you know what? I find that to be a problem. You know, everyone wants to jump up and down and hear about uh, Black Lives Matter and the, and the platform of, of defund the police because it's something negative. People want to hang on to something negative, but we're going to give them something positive to hang on to because there was not an alternative to that. So Mr. Wilson gave Black mothers a voice nationally to be heard. We provided a platform, Grand Lines, we always do. Everybody talks about people in these communities. No one talks to them to ask them what's important to them. Black Lives Matter and others say uh, we need to defund the police. Well, 80% of Black Americans living in these communities are against defund the police. They want more police. Um, Black Lives Matter and others say that that um, that that racism is the biggest problem facing Black Americans. Sixty percent of Blacks uh, poll said that it's not the case. But and so some of these mothers, when they spoke out and said that we need to address the enemy within, <clears throat> we are killing our children, not white police. That's well, actually, some Black Lives Matter people attacked these mothers mm-hmm. and said you're off message. And so I said, wait a minute. They need to be speaking for themselves. And so I told Sylvia, why don't we reach out so far? I mean, it, it spread like like thousands. So now we have how many chapters and how many? 22 months? states and thousands of mothers. And a lot of these mothers have their own organizations where they've actually took the step to turn their pain into purpose. They just needed direction of what to do on the ground and how to help on the ground. And that's what we've been doing. There's one study, I'm sorry, Glenn, that shows that 35% of these moms end up dying five years after they lose a child. And so what Sylvia does is counsel many of these women in the early stages of losing a child. And I 
Just last week or so, she talked a mom out of suicide, had her on the phone, um, and and had her husband, you know, call the police. Uh, and so she, she and other moms are reaching out to to provide that kind of comfort. But they're also engaged in, as she said, other activities to prevent crime. We will actually have moms embedded with homicide uh, units so that they they respond and go to a site of a homicide because that's where a lot of drama occurs, where a lot of, uh, of, uh, of anger gets expressed towards the police. So in some cases, they even change the way they process a murder scene so that they don't leave a, a child laying there for hours while they investigate. But this was all because of the of the input from the moms uh, who work with Rodney Monroe, who's a former chief of police who's working now in a very creative way. So we really are uh, working with these moms because they have some exciting, innovative ways to heal the, the hearts of these moms, but also healing the community and working towards preventing violence. Sylvia, I'm sorry for your loss. Thank you. Crystal Joy, that was your baby's name. Crystal Joy. It was crystal clear that she was going to be a joy to the world. So what we have here in the face of the awful tragedy of losing a child to violence, to gun violence or other, is a constructive response from the victims, the surviving victims, to take matters to the extent that they can into their own hands and to try to move forward positively. You're working with police in some of these uh, cities. It's an absolute must. Uh, Police is um, very much a part of the equation in order to reduce the violence. Um, There's, like Mr. Woodson was saying, 80% of the community members want more police. They want sensible policing in their communities. Um, Defund the police is not an option. When you work with the police and you talk about what's happening and what's going on within your community, what you need out of a peace officer that they've sworn to be, and they have that understanding as well as the community member have an understanding that, okay, we're going to be here. We're going to be visible. So don't get upset when your son is stopped. You know, these are the things that we have to do to reduce this violence. Now, one of the the, the bigger issues, um, and, I, and I'll tell you a story. Last year, we had a forum with the police and, and survivors and community members. Well, the police expressed their frustration as to the the community won't talk. You may know who is doing what, but you won't say anything. So they gave a very good definition of what snitching really is. Whereas the community members and the people that were there really had no idea that snitching is when a defender or or someone that's already in prison tell on someone else to get their sentence reduced. But when a community member 
calls the police and tell of someone doing something that's violent in their community or committing a crime in their community, that's called a community or a community member complaint. That's what that is. It's not snitching. They also, Glenn, were able to work in five cities where moms were actually employed to deploy at a homicide site. As a consequence, it, it instilled trust between the police. And as a consequence, mm-hmm. the number of closed cases increased in cities where we had the moms. So they are really uh, uh, establishing trust between the community and, and as a consequence, more people are willing to disclose who the perpetrator was. And so that we are we're going to be expanding that and exactly. doing some evaluation of that. But we hope to be investing in more chapters. So the more moms can get involved uh, beyond just uh, uh, um, um, grieving. But part of dealing with that grief is to take action to prevent other moms from having to go through that. And that's a very an important part what of ha- the healing. What happens is that every time I see a mom on the TV and she's just received the news that her child is dead and she's wailing and that pain resonates within me. I can imagine that it does. So we have got to reduce this because it's just killing uh, families. It's killing families because you just don't kill that one person. It destroys and breaks down that whole family. Okay, I have to ask you this. Black mothers. So what role is race playing in the motivation of people who are a part of what you're doing? And forgive me, where are the fathers? Oh, my. It's a loaded question. Okay, so what happens is that we're the ones that's mostly affected, black mothers. We're the ones that mostly affected. Um, black fathers are on the scene, but afraid to be on the scene all at the same time. Mm. But there are some hopeful signs. I know in one situation where there was this fighting in the school, I think it was in one southern town. In where, Louisiana, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Louisiana, Louisiana. Where, where the dads came in. She said, look, these are our kids fighting. Yeah, they had and, a name, didn't they? Yeah, dad's okay. on the job. or da- uh, Yeah, dad's on duty or something. Dad's, dad's on, on duty. duty. Dad's yes. on duty. So, you know, I just think what we've got to do is create hope in these communities and, and plant the seeds that, 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 that the transformation and redemption of your community has to come from you. But there's so much mm-hmm. attention devoted to the police, racism, external. But, uh, but so part Which of our agenda is pushing. They, they put up billboards, Glenn, uh, mm-hmm. on Victims Week. They had other kind of activities to instill trust between the police. And there were some fathers involved in yes. some of these active basketball teams and things like that. So. Now, we're bringing the fathers in. We're not excluding the fathers mm-hmm. whatsoever. Um, we want to catapult the fathers and let them know that they're safe. That's the, that's the issue within the community. Excuse me, safe from what? 
from the community as a whole. You know, they've been told by other organizations and, and activists, you know, the black male, you, you're threatened and you, you're going to end up dying if you work with this one or that, the police. But that is not true. So we're dispelling that myth. And let them know that you can work with law enforcement. They're they're not afraid of you, and you should not be afraid of them. Uh, let me make sure I understand. So, Voices of Black Mothers United works with police. Mm-hmm. Mothers working with police. Fathers may be reluctant to affiliate because they fear that others will think that they have somehow collaborated right. with the police. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes, uh, and. But we also have. Well, uh, we got to dispel that. Yeah, we're yes, trying indeed. to dispel that. Because the another thing that we are connecting with, we have a group of we call the OGs. These are guys who spent mm. long time in prison, and we have a, a, a program in Washington D.C. where we're funding them. And these, they say, well, if we can control this behavior in the prisons, we can control them outside. So they have come together, and they're doing a very effective job. If they were the ones, as I said in my presentation. They established a zone of peace in one of the most violent neighborhoods for 100 days. We didn't have a single act of violence because of these OGs, we call them, old gangsters, who stepped up. So we, we, we look for um, healing agents within the community suffering the problem. And once you find them and you redirect them, they can be a powerful agent of transformation in these communities. That has always been our approach to look for solutions in unusual places uh, and seek to support unorthodox means of a changing behavior. But the healing, I look at these neighborhood leaders like Sylvia and others like healing agents. The human body is oriented towards health. The moment this injury healing begins. Well, we, we really believe that that healing can occur and collectively, if we're able to do it, it can form an immune system. Mm-hmm. That's the only way I think we can, we can we have, but we have to invest in innovative people like Sylvia and others to, and, and challenge them to come up with the solutions that we then will support. How did you choose which internet service provider to use? The sad thing is, Most of us have very little choice because ISPs operate like monopolies in the regions they serve. They use this monopoly power to take advantage of customers. Data caps, streaming throttles, the list goes on. But worst of all, many ISPs log your internet activity and sell that data to other big tech companies or advertisers. To prevent ISPs from seeing my internet activity, I protect all of my devices with ExpressVPN. So, what is ExpressVPN? It's a simple app for your computer or smartphone that encrypts all your network data and tunnels it through a secure VPN server so that your ISP cannot see any of your activity. Just think about how much of your life is on the internet. I know a lot of mine is. I do my business there. I do my entertainment there. I communicate with my intimate friends there. Sadly, the list of people I've messaged, sites I've visited, and videos I've watched 
get tracked by giant tech companies if I don't protect myself. And those companies can sell my information for a profit. They can do the same thing to you. That's the reason I recommend ExpressVPN as the best way to hide your online activity from your internet service provider. You just download the app, tap one button on your device, and you're protected. That's exactly what I do. I do it with my smartphone. I do it with my laptop everywhere I go. And I do it with my desktop at home when I'm doing my work and when I'm entertaining myself. I love the privacy that ExpressVPN provides me. And ExpressVPN does all of this without slowing your connection. That's why it's rated the number one VPN service by Business Insider and by The Verge. So stop handing over your personal data to an internet service provider and other tech giants who mine your activity and sell off your information. Protect yourself with the VPN that I trust to keep me private online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Glenn. That's expressvpn.com slash Glenn to get three extra months for free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Glenn right now to learn more. Silly. Yes, when we're healing, when we're showing healing, we are the examples, right? If we, as Black mothers who've hurt, who's carried this child for nine months and raised this child and given all we've got, right, to this child, and if we can look at our perpetrator, the murderer of our child, and say, I forgive you, if we can do that, if we do that as the example, and we do, we don't do it necessarily for that person. We do it for us. So it starts a healing chain. I know for our my personal example, when I started to heal, my son started to heal. And when people within our network saw us feeling better, they started to feel better. I guess, Glenn, one of the most surprising things that I witnessed as I've been interacting with these women is just the power of, of forgiveness. And, and I, we had a session uh, that mm -hmm. was moderated where the common theme was the importance of giving. One of them, this will blow your, blow your mind, man. She went on death row to meet the man who raped and killed her daughter. At the age of 12. The age of 12. And she said, I forgive you, and left scripture behind. Mm -hmm. She said, I didn't forgive him for him. I forgave him for me, because now I'm free yes. of that. And so the, the challenge, if somebody in these moms can forgive people, for such heinous acts as taking their life. How can someone hate something, someone for something that happened 200 years ago? You know, it sounds very Christian to me. Can I ask about the extent to which, if at all, 
religious faith plays a role in your ministry? 110%. (laughs) (laughs) I, I don't think I would have made it. Okay, so the statistics, as Mr. Woodson mentioned earlier, 25% of mothers or parents die within the first five years. Okay? God, that's an unbelievable it number. Is. That pain is just so... It's called a broken heart syndrome. Undescribable. Now, the other mom of the young lady that died with my daughter... Yes. She died. I'm sorry. And literally, they put on her death certificate broken heart syndrome. I've heard about it before, but did not think it was real. But it's actually a real disease that you can die from. Yeah. We're approaching something like 20,000 homicides a year overall in the country, mm-hmm. half of which are black victims. More than so half. We are talking about unimaginable pain on a astronomical scale. Mm-hmm. My head is really off to you. Yeah, thank you. 92% of marriages fail. Of our, of our moms. Yeah. yeah. So, what's on the agenda for you? Suppose you had an unlimited budget, <laughs> and we're going to tell people how they can support the Woodson Center and Voices for Black Mothers United. Uh, before we sign off. But what in your wildest dreams would you like to be able to do that you you can't quite get done just yet? Well, one of, the thing, one of the things that we envision at the Woodson Center is to continue to reach out and enlist more moms. Mm-hmm. But also what we've done is reached out beyond black mothers to look. We reached out to get race off the table. I think we must take race off the table if we have to deal with the real moral and spiritual freefall that is consuming our young people. So we reached out to mothers from Silicon Valley, white moms who lost their kids to homicide. The homicide rate among affluent white uh, Silicon Valley households is six times the national average. You mean suicide? Suicide, suicide I'm sorry, mm-hmm. suicide. Mm-hmm. The suicide rate among uh, wealthy parents Six times the national average. And in Appalachia, uh, the leading cause of death is is uh, prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And so what we've done, and Sylvia did, is bring the leadership of other organizations from there. And uh, Frank Luntz moderated a, um, a session, but we call them Mother's Consortium. Mother's Consortium. And we came together as a mother encounter because we wanted to show that we are all alike, in a sense, because we're bound by the same pain. Everything that another mother said in regards to having to bury her child was nothing different from what I've ever said. So we connected and we bonded as sisters by that pain. But we also connected and bonded because we want to see some solutions. All of those things overlap. Bullying comes from, you know, uh, the, the, the suicide can come from being bullied. Mm-hmm. The addictions start with some type of violence. So all of it overlaps. One of the, uh, when Cain slew Abel, his punishment 
was worse than death, and that is to wander the earth without content or purpose in life. And that's what's happening to a lot of our young people. They're wandering without content or purpose of your life, so they devalue their life. If you devalue your life, you'll take someone else's or you'll take your own. They're different sides of the same coin. And it was just amazing when we brought these moms together, the common ground uh, that we would. uh, But we're not going to be able to find answers to why this emptiness, this hole that's in the heart of our children, if we have to look at each other through the prism of race. Race prevents us from getting at this deeper challenge facing, and that is the moral and spiritual freefall that is destroying our children. So what do you say, I have to ask you, to the Black Lives Matter movement of people concerned about race and about the police killings of unarmed black men and women? What do you say to the mother of uh, George Floyd? What do you say to the mother of Michael Brown and so on? Is there any room within your movement for them of course, we're concerned about anyone, but it should not be, be um, defined as, as the most critical problem that we face. It must be put in perspective. How many moms suffer uh, deaths like this? Yeah, we would welcome them into oh, the table. absolutely. Their pain is no different from my pain. It's just that who killed their son? Or their daughter Sandra Bland, um, yeah. is it, or Brianna Taylor. Although she took her own life, Sandra yeah. Bland, right? Yeah, but yeah, Brianna Taylor. Uh, Brianna Taylor. Um, the only difference is is who did it, yeah. okay? And how activists promote who did it, and 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 promote the n- negative part of what's happened. They don't. Pro- they didn't promote how a young black male, 24 years old, who that was his third time being charged with murder, killed Crystal and Taryn. They did not promote that. And to me, that's just as worthy as promoting than a white officer killing someone else. So I would love on those mothers, just like I do anyone else, because their pain is no different from mine's. Our circumstances are different. That's it. And some of these moms, the, the extent of their, their, the expanse of their forgiveness is just amazing to me. Some of them reach out to the son, I mean, to the, to the parents of the murderers because they've lost their son too. Mm-hmm. They're going to prison for life. Oh, my God. Yeah. And, and, and there really have it, been communications oh, between they minister, these minister. Uh, it, it, Several of them minister to the young man in prison. In prison. My, my, my. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Several of them minister to these young men because they're lost. Their lives are lost. And, and we have to understand, um, what, what was it that made you do this? Because here again, that's part of our healing. And part of our healing, if we understand that, that helps us to minister to those on the street who may be thinking about doing that. This was the, the biggest revelation when I got involved with it. What, what, you talk about Christian faith? And, and I mean, it, it, the extent of which they're, the, 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 the level and extent of their faith is just uh, breathtaking to me. And, and I think they have so much to teach the, the country 
about forgiveness and redemption and transformation. Why is it that we don't hear, and correct me if I'm wrong, in the media, any talk about Christian faith as a vehicle for helping people get through these these challenges? We, we hear so little about that in, in the, the media. The question is, is, is how many um, outlets and how many different people want people to really get healed and get through? Or do you want the negative part, which will generate you ratings? I mean, not that everybody is a Christian. No, I understand no. we live in and, a pluralistic okay. society. It's, but we're talking about, about black positive. mothers in inner cities right. around this country mm -hmm. who are largely Christian, if they have right. any religious faith at all. I have mothers who are not, and that's okay. It's about being positive and promoting healthy and hope and love. See, I, see, I tell people that what persuades people is experience will always prevail over an argument. Mm -hmm. You know, when 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 Jesus came to the, the servants of Jean, uh, John the Baptist came and said, "Are you the one? Do we seek another?" He healed in their presence and go tell him what you saw, and that's how. I convince people who are non-religious, who, who want to bring me this Black Lives Matter piece. I said, well, just tell me how implementing what you suggest will improve the lives of somebody or would add value to a life. So that's the test. And, 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 and so, so what, imp what impresses people is the secular consequence of one's faith. Not necessarily, you know, I said, but the fact that I'm a Christian is my hang up. But I can point to people who were drug addicts, who were predators, who are now clean and or responsible citizens or people who were predators, now ambassadors of peace and now serving as a community. And if you ask that person, why did you change? And they say that I was saved by Christ. You don't have to be a Christian to appreciate that. I think Dennis Prager said it best. If you're, you know, uh, if you're coming down the, riding down the street and you run out of gas at 11 o'clock at night and you got to go walk two blocks to a gas station and 10 men came around the corner, would you want to confront 10 who left the bar or 10 who left Bible study? Well, that's not a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, Glenn, but, but what that's, I that's do, what I mean about the, uh, that no, we I can do the with the secular consequence of one's faith. Okay. One have to, you don't have to be a Christian to appreciate that. And that's the kind of uh, examples we have to present to people when we're trying to help them understand why these neighborhood-based uh, programs like Sylvia works. And when I talk to mothers, I don't push Christianity down their throats. Right. I don't do that. Um, I meet them where they are. Do you guys pray together? We do, if, if they feel comfortable. If mm -hmm. Yes, we do. But what I like to do with them is, is let myself be a testimony. Let myself show what restoration looks like. You are, the mother may be at the point of where she's crawling because she can't stand up straight. Because you're, the pain is so hard. You can't get up. And I let them know, I've been there, but look at where I am now. And if you choose to walk with me, you'll get to be where I am now. So she's, she proves that a witness is more powerful than an advocate. 
and experience will always prevail against an argument. And so what we're doing at, with, with resources, we're going to help fund other chapters around the country. We're also going to expand out to these other moms who lost their children to suicide and drugs. Mm -hmm. and, and to me, I think that's what's going to turn the nation away from race and, and, and focus the attention instead on the salvation of our children that are in crisis. Absolutely. That's what I'm hoping that, that we can replace it, Glenn. Would you like to have the last word, Sylvia? Yes. Um, if you are, or if you know of someone who's out there that's experiencing this kind of pain, you know, they may be at the point of where they don't feel like they can take another breath. Voices of Black Mothers United, we're here for you. And I promise you, I will stay on the phone with you as long as I need to. Just give us a call. That's Sylvia Bennett Stone, Voices of Black Mothers United. Robert Woodson, founder and president of the Woodson Center. I'm so proud to be supporting your work. And I hope anyone who hears this program agrees that it's very much worthy of support. Thank you both. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you. Our next partner has a product I use literally every day. I started taking AG1 because I was concerned about my health. My wife was getting on my case, telling me that I should be taking supplements, that I should be doing something besides the sloppy eating that I was doing and the lack of exercise that I was getting to improve my health. I wanted better gut health, more energy. I wanted to optimize my immune system. I hated taking pills and vitamins from all those different bottles. I wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. Now that I've been on AG1 for three weeks, I love it. It doesn't taste like it's super healthy. It has a kind of mild tropical taste that I actually look forward to each morning. So what is this stuff? With one delicious scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health. It helps your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and aging. All of the things. What I do is every morning before breakfast, I take my dose of AG1. Uh, it's become a habit. I've incorporated it into my daily routine. It really makes me feel better. I've noticed it abets my digestion. Uh, I feel like I have more energy. It's easy to pack in my bag. I take it with me when I travel. I use it without fail every day. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health and it's cheaper than if you uh, were to buy all the supplements yourself. You're investing in an all-in-one nutritional insurance. Now, tons of people take some kind of multivitamin and it's important to choose one with high quality ingredients that your body will actually absorb. AG1 is a small micro habit with big benefits. 
It's one thing you can do every single day to take care of yourself. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills or supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash Glenn. Again, that is athleticgreens.com slash Glenn to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome 2022 Bradley Prize winner, Glenn C. Lowry. Thank you. A specter haunts the domestic political landscape in America today. It is the specter of racial conflict. The pundits tell us that we live in a period of racial reckoning in America. The anger and alienation amongst many black Americans is palpable. Racial dispute suffuses our public life from school committee elections to national political contest. This estrangement of journalists, politicians, intellectuals, and activists derives from the fact of persisting black disadvantage across so many fronts in our country's economic and social life. The reality here is too familiar too widely known to require elaborate recitation. Whether we talk about health or wealth, education or income, imprisonment or criminal victimization, the relatively disadvantaged status of those Americans who descend from slaves here in the third decade of the 21st century, more than 150 years after the Emancipation Proclamation, is clear for all to see. What are we to make of this? That question has bedeviled me for decades. Indeed, ever since I began graduate studies in economics at MIT a half century ago. So it is with a heavy heart that I stand before you this evening, a black American economist in this era of racial discontent in my country, an Ivy League professor and a descendant of slaves. A beneficiary of the civil rights revolution now over two generations in the past, which has made possible for me a life that my ancestors could only have dreamed of. More than that, I am a patriot who loves his country. I'm a man of the West, an inheritor of its great traditions. As such, 
I feel compelled to represent the interest of my people here and now. However, that reference is not unambiguous. It has both communal and civic antecedents. But the civic obligations are prior to the communal ones. Racial disparities are real, of course, but just how important is race as such? Inequality in America is not mainly a racial issue. The many poor and marginalized white people deserve our concern too. Interracial marriage has grown dramatically as has the number of people who view themselves as multiracial, including the first black president and vice president of this country. Is race a fundamental difference between people or is it a social construct? We talk incessantly about race and identity, but what about culture? What about values? Are these not aspects of our humanity that transcend race? The alienation afflicting so many prosperous black Americans is the result, I believe, of the false narratives that folks are being told by demagogues and ideologues. Narratives about something called white supremacy and how it threatens them, about how we have, in effect, reverted to the era of Jim Crow. My work has sought to rebut these departures from reality, in part by looking at what has actually happened over the last 75 years. A black middle class has emerged. There are black billionaires. Our influence on American culture is stunning and has worldwide resonance. In fact, when viewed in global comparative perspective, we black Americans are rich and powerful. We have, for instance, access to 10 times the per capita income of the typical Nigerian. The cultural barons and elites of America, the people who run the mainstream media, who give out literary prizes and foundation grants, who run the human resource departments of corporate America, the universities, the movie studios, these powerful, powerful people have bought into the woke anti-racism sensibility, hook, line, and sinker, all of which disproves the premise that the American dream does not apply to us black people. To say so is to tell a lie to our children about their country, a crippling lie which, when taken as gospel, robs our people of agency and a sense of control over our fate, and a patronizing lie that portrays profound doubt about the ability, our ability, to face up to the responsibilities and to bear the burdens of our freedom. For that is the existential challenge we black Americans now face in the 21st century. Not to throw off the shackles of our oppression, but rather to take up the awesome burdens of freedom. The Civil War left 600,000 dead in a country of 30 million. The consequence of that war, together with the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments enacted just afterwards, was to make the enslaved Africans and their descendants into citizens. In the fullness of time, we have become equal citizens. Now that should not have taken another hundred years, nor should my ancestors have been enslaved in the first place. But here's the thing, 
Slavery was a commonplace human practice dating back to antiquity. Emancipation, freeing four million enslaved persons as the result of a mass movement for abolition, that was a new idea, a Western idea, an American idea. It was the fruit of Enlightenment philosophy and Christian charity. It was an idea brought to fruition over a century and a half ago in our own United States of America with the liberation of an enslaved people. Such an achievement would not have been possible without philosophical insights and moral commitments cultivated in the 17th and 18th centuries in the West. Ideas about the essential dignity and the God-given rights of all human persons. That is, America's founding at the end of the 18th century brought something new into the world. Slavery was a holocaust out of which emerged an accomplishment that advanced the morality and the dignity of humankind, namely emancipation. The ultimate incorporation of African-descended people fully into the American body politic has been a monumental, unprecedented achievement for human freedom. To whom much has been given, of him much shall be required. For this saga is not over. Freedom is one thing, equality quite another. The former is a necessary but not sufficient condition for the latter. As such, it is both futile and dangerous for us black Americans to rely on others to shoulder our communal responsibilities. If we want to walk with dignity, to enjoy truly equal standing within this diverse, prosperous, and dynamic society, within this free society, then we must accept the fact that white America can never give us what we seek in response to our protests and remonstrations. Rather, we must earn equal status by dint of our own efforts. Now, I take no pleasure in doing so, but I feel obliged to report this reality. Equality of dignity, equality of standing, of honor, of security in one's position within society, of an equal ability to command the respect of others, such things cannot be handed over. They will not be the fruit of insurrection, violent uprising, or rebellion. Equality of this sort is something which we black Americans must wrest with our bare hands from a cruel and indifferent world by means of our own effort Inspired by the example of our enslaved and newly freed ancestors, we must make ourselves equal. No one can do it for us. My fear is that, is that until we recognize and accept this unlovely but inexorable fact about the human condition, until we assure the victimhood rhetoric and embrace the existential realities about race in our country, until then, the disparities that have so troubled our politics and that so threaten our domestic tranquility will continue to persist. Thank you.